welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. My name's Sam Thompson. My wife, Rachel, and I attend the Crosstown campus with our two daughters, Tatum, who's two, and Lyndon, who's between two and three months right now. When you first get married, you're, you're bringing two different sets and viewpoints into a lot of different aspects, and finances was one where we were very different. I was definitely more of the saver. I love spreadsheets. I love numbers in the budget. I definitely saw money as just like, get to the end of the month, and you made it in your bank account. If it's at zero, if it's more than that, great. It was a battle, for sure, the first couple of years. My father-in-law started talking to me about this journey that him and his wife and one of their daughters were going on to become debt-free. And he looked at me and said, Sam, tell me about how you and Rachel are doing. And so I told him I had a lot of student loan debt. We had a couple car loans and some minor credit card debt. And as I was telling my father-in-law this, he looked at me and said, Sam, you're just normal. That's what most Americans have. In the moment, he called me normal. It just lit a fire inside of me. So after him talking to my dad, he kind of started diving into podcasts and just other things. When you think of finances, you know, we believe in the tithe, giving back to what the Lord gave us. And that 90% that we have left doesn't mean we don't not steward that portion, right? We're supposed to steward the 90%. I had been going through this in my mind for a few weeks before I had even broached the topic with Rachel because I knew if my thoughts weren't clear, I'm never gonna get her on board with this. I just like word vomited everything. I wanted to be like super clear and concise and I just went way over both of our heads. It took a while to get on like the same page. I think we got really comfortable in the way that we were living. And it yes. was just kind of like, for me being the spender, I was like, I don't want to change. Through more conversations, she started to realize what the focus and what the goal was. The main um, vehicle for us paying off debt was our budget. And that was saving money and constricting our budget to only the things that were necessary in our household. And that took a lot of discipline. It was mostly just knowing where your dollars are going. And that really like made us realize the extra that we did have that we could put towards debt. A little over eight months later, we were able to pay off all of our debt and be completely debt free. In the moment, I think you had it pulled up on your computer screen of just the amount that like was final. And it was like, this is our last payment. We have enough money to pay it all off tonight. Yeah. And like yeah. going in, putting in the numbers and like clicking the button, you're yes. like, I think we literally clicked it together. Yeah, <laughs> we're done. We did yeah. it. It felt like just like this sled of things or just this like, this weight that you're constantly pulling around. And the second we became debt free and just like kind of processing it was more so like now we're looking forward and there's literally nothing holding us back. As this journey went through and as we've gone past being debt free, the Lord said, I've ingrained generosity into your heart. It's woven in your heart. You just couldn't see it. And we are doing things now that I never would have contemplated doing a few years ago because God has opened up and exposed things in our heart that I didn't realize was there. One fund that we recently created was the Generosity Fund. So this is separate from tithing and Kingdom Builders. It's just a fund that Rachel and I have where if there's a, a need in the community, a need with our family or friends, we can meet it like that. 
And that's exciting to know that we have money set aside for someone who's hurting or in need, and we can just help step in immediately when that, you know, that need comes up. You know, there's a proverb that we really stuck onto in this process. The debtor is enslaved to the lender. No longer are we looking back on the cars we bought, the education I got, the credit card purchases we had. I'm not tied to those chains. Those chains are gone. And so instead of feeling weighed down, now we have the ability to not be concerned about what's behind us, but what's ahead of us. Yeah, come on, you can clap for that. That's so encouraging. Thank you, Sam and Rachel. They're great people. Um, and my hope for you is that that's the way you're going to live as well. Not looking behind you, but looking forward, figuring out how God wants you to handle the finances that he's placed into your hand and saying, God, I want to use it for your glory and for your honor. I can tell you this, we have a, uh, a generosity fund as well, Beck and I do, and that is fun to live in that way, to be in a position where there's money going in every month, and then whenever there's a need, you're like, do you want to do that? Do you want to help that person on their global team? Do you want to respond to that need and want to bless them? That's a great way to live, so we want to encourage you to do that. And uh, you don't have to show your hand, but how many identify, like, who, all right, yeah, you do. You have to raise your hand. Who's the saver? If you're a saver, raise your hand. You're like a saver. That is fun for you to save. All right, who's the spenders? Throw that hand up. You did it really. You know what's so funny is the savers were like, yeah, we're savers. And the spenders were like, yeah. It should have been the other way around. That's America for you. All right, yeah. Uh, but we're in the final week of our series on finances, stewardship, and and generosity and giving. And uh, just for re quick review, in week one, we talked about the tithe. We talked about that a heart touched by God starts with the tithe and then goes up from there. It's pre-law, it's in the law. It's a heart that is touched by God, just wants to respond and say, Lord, everything I have comes from you. We talked in week two about over and above giving, kingdom builders. We talked about that's what we do at River Valley Church. It's called Kingdom Builders, and we fuel global, local, and future Christian leaders. We do that through our over and above giving. Um, we set our goal. Our goal for this year is $10 million again over our regular giving, $10 million. We're believing for that. And I can let you know we are ahead of pace from last year. We are, they, I think they told me already this year we're ahead of pace by 40%. I'm like, let's do that continue year. That, yeah, that's very good. Great start. Great start. And uh, we talked about uh, having a plan, a vision, and a dream. A plan, a vision, like work the plan, uh, write the vision down, pray for it, and then have a dream and hold on to that and those different amounts. And uh, I talked about, you know, that I was so excited about it that I, and I actually did the gritty. For those that didn't know, that's what Jefferson does. Some of you are like, what did Pastor Rob just do? You know, and uh, I want to let you know that I was sent videos all week by kids and the youth group and the kids' church saying, no, Pastor Rob, this is the way you do it. All right? All right. Disciple me later. All right, yeah. Okay, so, but we did that. But I do want to let you know that I got an email, and I wanted to read. I got permission from the family to just, re, you know, redacted their names, but this is incredible. And so I want to just read this to you. It said, uh, this came this week. It said, I had to share a really cool story. After a sermon this weekend, my husband and I sat down to discuss our plan, vision, dream goals for giving this year. My husband works in an industry that's been hit hard with the pandemic, so he hasn't had his annual bonus in two years. Last year, we were able to give to Kingdom Builders thanks to stimulus checks, but this year was going to be a challenge. During your sermon Sunday, I felt 
$7,500 was the kingdom builder number God wanted us to give, although we didn't know how we'd do it. So we decided our plan would be to give a few thousand dollars this year, but our vision was to give $7,500. And she says, today I checked our bank account balance and it was $7,500 higher than usual due to the check from his employer. How many know when it's $7,500 or more, you should check that it's not, you know, like somebody else's money, right? So, yeah. And she said, my husband had no idea why. So he talked to his boss who was just as confused as to why he had this large check. It turns out that despite continued lacking performance for the company, the CEO decided last minute that they were giving full annual bonuses again this year. No employee was expecting it, and nobody knew until this morning when the checks hit the bank accounts. I'm in tears as I type this, knowing full well that this was all God, and there's a reason he put $7,500 on our heart. Within five days of listening to your message, God has funded our KB vision. I just had to share this story with you. Have a great Friday. <laughs> yeah. I just thank God for that. I mean, that is just incredible to see, like, God moving on somebody's, you know, you're thinking about this. Like, how is this going to happen? Lord, we're in the world. We're trying to figure it out. Last year was stimulus checks, and we can't even, but God speaks to us, and he does that for all of us. He speaks in different ways. It's not always within five days. Sometimes, I know God likes 11.59 a lot too, right? The last minute of the last day, you know, but this is just, I believe this is something to encourage your faith and encourage you to listen and say, God, we want to listen to whatever it is, that plan that we can do, and then the vision that we can believe for, and then the dream that we'll hold on to. So today we're going to look at biblical, uh, personal, financial help. And there's so much here. I want to get to it as much as I can. Um, I want to let you know that it's harder for me now than when I was 35. When I was 35 pastoring this church, and I would do this annual sermon and give people um, the, the annual biblical, like a look at some biblical things, it was easier because, you know, um, Becca and I were in debt. You know, we were in debt like everybody else. Um, we, we had a starter home. We had no health insurance. The church didn't even have the ability to give me health insurance until year 10 of the church plant. So this would have been about year five and a half, year six. So we got our health insurance through Becca working. So I'm sitting here doing this. We, we didn't even have an emergency fund for many years. Um, our emergency fund was a $15,000 line of credit from the bank. That's not an emergency fund, but it was the only way we were moving forward. So there were so many different things. So as I was starting to teach financial peace and biblical principles and saying, I need to get my own life in line, it was way easier because I just kind of thought everybody was right there. Now I'm older and I'm thinking about legacy giving. I'm thinking about inheritance and like, what are we going to do with it when it comes to us? What are we going to do with inheritance that we'll leave to our children? We're thinking about, do we downsize or upsize right now? Um, other than home loan, we're completely out of debt. Um, we're thinking about what's our next dream goal. I'm thinking about, do I want to update my will and my trust? And you're like, you're not that old, Pastor Rob. You're not that old. But I, there's just, it's just a different phase or different place that I'm at. And I also realize, realize our congregation is filled with people that are young, that are getting started. And there's also people that are wondering the same questions that I am. And I want to let you know that one of the tools that we have, and we've talked about it each week, and this will be the last week we talk about it, is Ramsey Plus. I really want to share that this is a tool wherever you're at in that spectrum, wherever you're trying to figure it out, Ramsey Plus is something that we paid for for every single person. 
Uh, it's over $100 for you to do this, but it's free. We've paid for it. We, we've covered this already. This is an idea of uh, Pastor Connor, our oldest son. He came to me, he said, we need to do this. I, I really believe in this. It was a large amount of money. I was like, okay, let's do it. And, and it has been the right decision. So we did it a second year. For those of you that are still like trying to figure out what are we gonna get there? You're gonna get budgeting. You heard about that in the video. You're gonna hear, how do you budget? You're gonna hear about baby steps, an emergency fund that you need to have $1,000. You don't need a $50,000 line of credit at the bank. You need $1,000 that is an emergency fund for when something breaks. And how many know something always breaks, okay? And you have that emergency fund. And then from there, you go to three to six months savings where you have that three to six months income in savings. Um, you start giving 15% to retirement is what Financial Peace talks about, being able to do that. It talks about how to pay for college and um, living debt-free and, and having your home paid off and building wealth and how to buy insurance and how to buy a house and what type of mortgage. And there's also in Ramsey Plus the Every Dollar app, which is really a budget, but it's the Every Dollar app. So you tell your money where to go. It's an app now. How many were old school and remember when it was envelopes? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it was envelopes. And we had literal envelopes in the drawer. Becca would say, this is the gas envelope and this is the shopping envelope. And this is that. And I found out later in life that at the end of the month, if there was anything in any other envelope, she moved it to the shopping envelope. I found that out <laughs> later on, but I didn't know that. I was like, gas is expensive this month. All right, yeah. But we did that. So again, text word Ramsey to 94,000. Even for online, it's for everybody. There's so much there. Um, and we want to help you. Now, as we look at money, we look at handling money, um, I, I realize this, that 1 Timothy um, 6, I want to read a different verse so the tech team can know this. 1 Timothy 6, 17 um, and 18, it says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to a young teacher, uh, preacher, and pastor, Timothy, and he's saying this is part of your calling. This is part of what you have to do. And I realize that as a church, this is part of my calling. This is what I have to do. I have to talk to people about money. God wants us to be discipled in this way. It's not like, oh, River Valley, that's that church that talks about money. This other church never does. They should be. They should be talking about that. They should be helping people to do this so that they understand. And I want you to be clear that money's not bad. Money is not bad. It's really just a tool, and it's the love of money that is bad. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. All right? So it's just a tool. Money's just a tool, and there's dangers with it, and there's, there's good with it. And I believe that money should have a warning sign with it, really. I mean, it should have a warning, and, and you think about all the education. Like, when you go to drive, think about teenagers when they get ready to drive. They, they have to go to driver's ed, and then they get in that car with two brake pedals. How many of you know what I'm talking about, you know? And, and they have that little sign, you know, driver training, you know, stay away, bumper car, you know what I'm saying? It, and they, they get this training. I mean, it, it, there's, there's warnings on power tools. If you buy a power tool, it'll say, warning, be careful when you plug this in. You know, wear goggles. This is a power tool. I mean, there's even a better warning on a mattress. How many know what I'm talking about? Like, if you remove this mattress, death to you and your face. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a mattress. We sleep on it, you know? But money, all it says is, in God we trust. 
It, it, it should have a warning, like there's a warning with this, guys. You really need to take care of this. You really need to understand what God's word has to say. How many know cryptocurrency should have like bold, like, you know, flashing, warning, warning. I mean, I feel like cryptocurrency right now, I still don't understand it all, but I feel like it's dynamite. Like it's going to blow a hole through that mountain or blow me up. That's what I feel about crypto right now. And I will say this, we were given several Bitcoin at the last miracle offering and they were valued at over 60,000 and we sold them right then. Like if you give it to us, we're selling it. All right. And today it's only worth 39,000. So that was a good sale. And then people say, well, what about 20 years from now? I just put it in the kingdom of God where moth and rust can't take it away and where thieves can't break in and steal. And it's in God's hand. And by the way, it's probably earning like a thousand percent interest in the kingdom of God. So it's already there. But crypto needs like a dynamite warning on it. All right. So this is something that we want to look at, the good and the bad. And I want to just fly through. There's so much. I I could tell I I should have even cut this sermon down. But the the bad with money, the bad with money, I just want to give these practical things. It it, It can corrupt your integrity. The Bible talks about, like you read in Proverbs 11, 1, the Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor. What does that mean? That means somebody was trying to get more money from the other person and they loved money so much that they actually had a corrupt scale so that when you thought it was an ounce, it really wasn't an ounce because they had a corrupt weight on the other side because they were trying to skim a little some from you because they loved it so much and they didn't have the integrity. If you love money so much, it's so powerful and it can be, uh, just have a force behind it that all of a sudden you lose your integrity. Another thing it can do is make you proud and arrogant. You can start acting so prideful and so arrogant. First Timothy 6.17, again, I read it. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be what? Arrogant. Arrogant. Uh, I, I can't stand when I get around people that are, that are rich, that are arrogant, and have, and have learned this. I've been around enough rich people. It's like the really rich people are, are so many times are incredibly humble. And, and I mean, you'd look at them, you're like, they're rich, and, and they look like they need benevolence. And, and, and they are acting like they own it all, and they're going bankrupt. How many, you know, it's, just, it's amazing to see how like a, a, just a pure-hearted rich person that understands that they're just stewarding this and taking care of it that like they don't get arrogant, but God help us if we get arrogant, if we get arrogant with the things we have. The psalmist warns, though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. You can get proud. Another thing you gotta battle with money and, and, and handling it is materialism and greed. Um, Luke 12, 15, it says, then he said to them, this is Jesus, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. With that same thought, you can get dissatisfied with what you have. How many know that when it comes to money and handling money, when you look at what God's put in your hands, it doesn't look like the same amount he put in somebody else's hands. And then you start saying, God, why? Why did you give them more? Why did you have that? And, and it happens to everybody. I know that a friend of ours in ministry was blessed with something. It was just a blessing I'd never heard of. Like, they were blessed. I'm having lunch with them. And I, it's a friend of ours. And as I'm hearing them talk about their blessing, I'm getting jealous I'm getting like, okay, God, so not fair. Like what I have compared to them and, you know, not fair. And I went home and the next morning I'm praying and God's like, hey, let's deal with that lunch yesterday. You know? And then, you know, I left that time in prayer with God and I was like, God, I'm never going to be mad at somebody else's blessing. 
It's not like their blessing was stolen from me. You have blessings for them and blessings for me and mine. I'll steward mine and they'll steward theirs. And that's the way I want to live. And I said, I, but you got to watch out. You can be dissatisfied. It can cause you to trust in yourself and not God. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. You, 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 just, you, you can trust in yourself. And I'm challenged by this, and I've not lived this way, but I want to put this challenge out to you, same because it's been echoing in my mind, and so I get to pass it on to you. Um, but I was in Bill Bright's office, and I was supposed to meet with him. And if you don't know, he's Campus Crusade for Christ. He was the founder. He did the Jesus video that has gone around the world. And that day I was supposed to meet with him. He was too sick to meet, but he did a, a call. So I'm sitting in his office talking to him, and he talked about trusting in God and not trusting in wealth. And he said something he and his wife did for years on December 31st of every year. He said, what's in the account? And his wife would tell him, and he would just write a check to the work of the Lord for that amount and say, we start at zero January 1. We trust in the Lord. No retirement. No, not just what we start at zero on January 1. Like, I'm not there. I don't know. I, I mean, like, January, like, April. I'm not ready. To go. Like, I'm just like. But it's bothered me, so now it bothers you. All right, there you go. <laughs> That's just another level of living. But even as I save for retirement, I'm like, God, I don't want to save and not count on you. It could distract you. The rich young ruler, the weight of what he owned distracted him and actually disqualified him. It caused him to lose out on what God has for him. This money is so powerful. Mark 8, 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul. Now, I want to talk to something that's very practical for our church, and it affects so many of us. It really does. Um, debt. Debt is such a destructive force. And um, in Proverbs 22, 7, it says, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. And there's something about when you um, are borrowing from somebody and you now owe them. There's something about them having that control over you. Um, I'm just thinking of this thought. I was in a, a board meeting for another church. The pastor w- had to step down, and I was in the board meeting. And I remember we've got vision, and the church owed all this money to the bank. And the bank showed up at the board meeting. And we said, this is what we want to do for God. This is what we want to do. And the bank said, let me tell you something. The bank's going to decide what the church does because you owe all the money. And we're like, no, no, we're a, this is, they're a church, and they want to do this. And they said, no, you're so far in debt, and you, you are in so much trouble. The bank is now the board. And I just thought, how sad is that, that the borrower is now slave to the lender? The bank came in and said, because you owe us all this money, we're now in charge of the board meeting. I don't think that's the way God wants his church led. And so you think about that. You think about the, the, this owing that is there. And I think about this, that Beck and I at one point had $5,000. I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but to us at that time, we had $5,000 in credit card debt. And we were making our monthly minimum payment, which if you make your monthly minimum payment, you will never pay it off, you know? And, and, and her grandmother passed away and left us an inheritance of $5,000 and was just about enough with what we could muster up, pay the tithe on it, and then pay off the thing. And we looked at each other. We said, never again, never again. We don't want to be in this position. Credit card debt, we're not going to do that. If we're going to do debt, we're going to put enough money down that it's collateralized, you know, it's collateral there, and we're not going to be in this position. This is a terrible place to be in. We got our emergency fund built up. We did those things. 
And I want you to know the Bible doesn't specifically prohibit borrowing. It doesn't prohibit it. Because it even gives lessons on how you should make a loan. And so if it gives lessons on how you should make a loan, then it doesn't prohibit borrowing. Okay? But it always talks about borrowing in a negative light. It's like, don't borrow. Try not to borrow. If you borrow, if you have to get this loan, pay it back as fast as you can. Get out from underneath it. That's, there's like an urgency to it. And yet America, there's such a complacency like, oh yeah, we're leveraged there. We got that and that's on payments and that's on payment. The boat's on 82 years of payment. You know what I'm saying? It's like payment everywhere. And we become so used to it. And so I want to ask you some questions about this because financial peace will just really drive this home. Or I'll give you one thought and then ask some questions. At the minimum, the Bible says this, that you have to pay back what you have borrowed. Psalm 37, 21 says, the wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. It says wicked people, they borrow and they don't pay it back. But the righteous, not only that, do they pay, and do it, but they, they give generously. And hold on to that word righteous. I'll get there in a minute. People ask, what about a house? And uh, when we look at Financial Peace University and look at all these things, as long as the house is within your budget, as long as the house can be given back for the amount that's owed, and it, it gives that principle of being able to do that. But I'll give you some debt questions, and these come from Randy Alcorn. First one is, is the obligation of repayment worth the value I will receive? Is the obligation of repayment worth the value I will receive? Hey, the new smell wears off pretty fast. How many know what I'm talking about? Like, that is amazing for about a month, you know? All right. Here's another one. Is not having enough to pay for it God's way of saying not now or no? Could be. Could be his way of saying not now or no. What message are we sending to God that we need more than he has provided for us and going out into debt? Will today's debt hinder tomorrow's freedom? I think about all the missionaries that we talk to. We say, we want to send you out in the 500. You know, one of our, our things that we have to do sending out the 500 is help them eliminate their debt. We have to work up a strategy to help them eliminate the debt because so many people are like, here am I, send me. And then they're like, except for, I am slave to the lender, you know? And so we have to help them. But will today's debt hinder tomorrow's freedom? Are we mortgaging the future for today's whims? Another question, is it really a need or a want? You're like, I need this. Uh, I don't know. Philippians 4.19 says, my God shall supply all your need. All your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He, he provides what we need and not what we want. All right? So you think about why is debt bad? And again, I'm indebted to Randy Elkhorn. And, and as I read his book every year, uh, Treasure Principle, I read Money, Possessions, and Eternity. It convicts me deeply. And then I pass it on to you, like I said. Um, but debt, here's some things. He says, why is debt bad? Debt lingers. Debt lingers. Debt causes worry and stress. And you, you, you start to have that tension and that worry and stress affects your marriage. It affects your relationships. It affects things that are going on around you. Debt causes uh, the denial of reality. You're like, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine. And you're not facing the reality. Debt is addictive. It doesn't matter. I see people that are in debt 
when they make $50,000 and they get a raise to $80,000, they're still in debt. Then they make $100,000 and they're still in debt. It's addictive. They're always living like that 10% or 20% more. And, and I wish I'd have known so many of the things that financial peace teaches or what other people have taught me over the years. They said, every time you get a raise, start to tithe on the raise, give that over and above on the raise, and then put the rest in the bank for, the, for that year. Don't get used to it. And then the next time you get a raise, you could start living on that old raise and then do the same. Does that make sense? You start giving, do your kingdom builders, put the rest in saving, and then live. And, and you're always a raise behind and you're always having that margin built in there. It was, it was great advice, but I didn't hear it until I was way older in life. It's, it's debt is addictive. Debt is presumptuous. Debt creates the loss of opportunity. With all this, I just want you to know, don't fear money, respect it. Don't fear it, respect it. Respect the money that God has placed into your hand. And he said, here's what you have. I want you to respect, I want you to use this for my glory and for my honor. And there's something that, you know, remember I was saying older and younger and older. I, I'm getting asked this a lot more um, as I get older and as our church gets older. And I, I, it's interesting because the question is, how much should we leave our kids? That's what people are starting to ask me. Now, now, when I was younger, I was like, all of it? <laughs> like, all? Like, yeah, as much as you get, you know. And now I've started to realize that there's a weight to it. There's a weight to leaving something to uh, children that, that can just weigh them down. And David Green, the owner of Hobby Lobby, who's probably the most generous Christian in America, he said this, is if we pass only money to the next generation, we put a crushing load on them. Pat, be sure to pass them your beliefs more than passing the money. This is one from one of the richest people in America. And Randy Alcorn said this, he said, pass the amount of wealth to your children that you've passed the amount of wisdom. So whatever wisdom, pass it, you know, and and so I, I thank God. I'll tell you a transparent moment. My mom was talking to us about um, her financial position. She said, this is how much I have in the bank, and this is what I've got. And she's kind of having one of those, you know, moments. And we're all sitting around her, and we're like, Mom, spend it all. You've given us so much more than, well, most of us. I won't tell you which brother was like, spend half, you know. But uh, <laughs> the rest, we're like, yeah, spend it all. No, we're like, spend it, do it, do it, you know. And, and we said, do you understand what you and dad have passed on to us with, was worth so much more? You've given us a faith in Jesus Christ. You've given us the confidence. You've given us a loving home. You've given us the ability to follow God's voice. You've given us so much. It's worth so much more than money. You've blessed us in so many ways. But with our money, I, we can pass it on to our children. We can take care of our family. You can have fun with it. You can make Jesus known. And I want to give you this responsibility of why I'm so strong about kingdom builders. Did you know that 80% of all the money that's held by Christians in this world, eight, follow me, 80% of all the money that is held by Christians on planet Earth is held by the Christians in the United States of America. So 80% of the money that God right now has in his kids' hands is in the hands of American Christians. And when you think about all the world that we need to reach, and we have 80% of it, 
That's where I'm like, we got to keep going over and above. And God, maybe you've blessed us to be a blessing. And, and maybe as you give us more, it's not to increase our standard of living, but our standard of giving. And, and if 80% is right here in this country, I mean, we ought to say just like last week, I'll take the check. I'll take the check. I got this one, I got this one. And the, when I travel the world, I see they're so grateful for the way that we've been so generous and I don't want us to lose that because so much of it is right here in our hands. And speaking of that, um, when the Bible talks about the righteous in Proverbs, I asked you to hold that thought. Uh, speaking of this, 80% of the wealth is right here. When the Bible talks about righteous, the righteous in Proverbs, when it uses the word righteous, it's using, talking about somebody that, that has the resources and thinks of others with their resources. Okay, let me tell you what an Old Testament scholar, Bruce Waltke, like I'll give you the verse, Proverbs 29, seven, the righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Whenever the word righteous is used in the book of Proverbs, okay, it, it's talking about people that say, those who will sacrifice personal profit for the common good and interest of the community at large. That's the righteous. When the Bible talks about the righteous, it's saying these are people that have been given resources, but don't just think only about bigger houses and more for them, but they're like, I wanna look around and see my neighbor. I wanna look around and see how they're doing. I wanna take care of them. And it's, it's not forced by the government, it's forced by God saying like, that's a righteous person. A righteous person looks at how much I've given to them and how much I've blessed them with and takes care of the poor. A righteous person says, I, I have this amount and I wanna be responsible for it. I wanna take care of those people, I wanna do this. It's a person that, that says, you know what, I, I, maybe I'll make a little less so that they can have a little more. And we see this now with CEOs that are doing this willingly. Again, the government's not forcing me to do it, but CEOs saying, you know what? The disparity between what I make, what they make, you know what? I'm gonna make a little, I'm gonna, I'm gonna raise them up. And this Bible's saying like, that's a righteous person. Or a righteous person says, I have all this and I've taken care of my employees well, and I've done all these things and I've looked around my community, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep looking for places to help lift people up for God's glory. I'm gonna do that for his glory and I'm gonna lift them up. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing that endorses really, you know, like in America, it's kind of like the conservative and the liberal and the, you know, this was like, like it's yours and you work. And this was saying like, it's give it to it, the government's going to take it from you. And give it, and it's kind of a, God's like, guess what? You did earn it. And I gave you the ability to earn it. But as a righteous person, I want you to spread it around. I want you to take care of the poor. I want you to bless people. I want you to do this. It's not just about you. It's about the kingdom. And that's a righteous person. I close this out with a, a word that um, Sam used in the beginning. He talked about, we're stewards. You just slipped it in there real quick. And I want you to understand as we look at this, and please, 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 please grab a hold of financial peace. And for some, you're like, I got this, I got this, I got this. But there are so many people that are in trouble and they need to get a hold of this. And they need to grab a hold of what's being taught here. Um, I close this out with that we're stewards, but I want to use a word to help you even maybe understand a little better. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 
So we've been given things and every one of us has been given things. We're taking care of it. It's really God's money. We give him back the first tenth and we're taking care of it. We've got to be good stewards and we've got to say like, okay, we're going to take care of it. But steward, it's just, it's a term that I've used in church, but I've tried to look for a contemporary word and I found one, all right? I finally found a new word to help maybe click for some people. If you've ever watched TV and you see an investment company and they say, you know, uh, this is the uh, investment company and we are fiduciaries. We are fiduciaries. And they use that word. It's a fiduciary, okay? That's a, a word that's probably used a little more. You probably see it. You'll probably hear it now that I talked about it. You'll hear it. But what that means is that means someone to whom property or power is entrusted for the benefit of another. So they're saying, hey, you've entrusted us with this and it's for your benefit. Like we're gonna take care of it for your benefit. And if I could say this, we're stewards, but a, a contemporary term would be, we're fiduciaries. We have a fiduciary responsibility to our heavenly father who's put this into our hands. And we get to say, God, I wanna take care of it for your glory and for your honor. And so I wanna avoid the things like debt. I wanna avoid the things like interest. I wanna, and I wanna take it and use it for your glory. I wanna live righteous. I wanna do this. And I pray that we would be kingdom fiduciaries uh, of his resources that he's placed into our hand. And then we'd say, God, the money and the resources and the things that you place in our hand, we will use it for your glory and for your honor. And God, help us to live that way. 80%, 80% of what God has on kingdom, on this planet for his kingdom is in the hands of Americans. And we have a huge responsibility. We should step up to that and say, God, we will be fiduciaries. We will take care of this. We will use it for your glory and for your honor. So Lord, I just pray right now, there are things here that have hit us. There are other things that hit other people, but God, right now, the thing that hits us is that everything we have comes from you. And it's for your glory and for your honor that we want to, everything we have comes from you. And so God, we give back that tithe. We give back more and we say with what's in our hands, help us to handle this. Help us to be good stewards, good fiduciaries of it and take care of what you've placed in our hands. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for that. And more important than even the things you place in our hands is the fact that we have the opportunity to place our lives in your hands. And so God, with that thought in mind, we close with this thought that there will be people today here and online at all of our campuses that will need to say, yes, Jesus, you have me. You have me. You have me. Now bless that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.